Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible time of worship. Lord, we, just, we get to do this forever and all through eternity. And we thank you and praise you. Now open up your word to us and speak truth in Jesus' name. I love those book reviews, especially about those books about the lies that women believe. Because, I, I mean, I'm speaking on that a lot this weekend. The lies that we believe and we choose to believe. And I love uh, uh, Nancy DeMoss's book on the lies that women believe. And, and I, I don't know the, where's the book reviewer, but great book. And Cheryl Broderson's book is another great book. Grace for the Good Girl, another good, really good book. So those were my three favorites. So anyway, last night we uh, took a peek at the Psalms and the lies that women find ourselves believing as truth. Now remember, it's, can't be a, it can't be a halfway. We either believe it or we don't. So it's either a lie or it's a truth. Okay, so there we go. We only have two choices there. Now looking back... I look at some things that I believed in uh, as uh, a young person, and I don't know how we did it, and I'm just going to give you two. Now, this is just my opinion, so don't stone me if you're a Lamaze teacher. (laughs) But back in the 70s, I don't know how anybody bought into the 70s Lamaze thing. Now, now it's different now, and now they're a little bit more open to medication and painkillers. But back then, back then, guys, it was our right to feel pain. <laughs> Don't you take that pain away from us. It's our right to feel pain, especially in childbirth. Now, I gave birth to three children, and I was on drugs on all three of them. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But I never understood why anybody wanted to feel that kind of pain. But I, because of, you know, people were in the army and because of being a pastor's wife, I got to chose, I was chosen many times to be in Lamaze classes and be with some of my friends that were having children. So you got to remember this is the 70s, right? So we would go to Lamaze class and uh, you have to pay $300 for the class. You know, it was a big deal back then. And these teachers back then were very zen-looking. You know, hair parted in the middle, long dresses, and they always spoke so slowly. Very, very zen. Now, you got to remember, remember, because I had been through that whole hippie thing, I wasn't buying any of that stuff anymore. But you'd go in, and they would speak very slowly, and first thing we would have to do is we'd have to sit on the floor. Okay, well, that's all right. And the teacher would say, no, we want you to introduce yourselves. And they always talk like that. You know, and whoever spoke, thank you for sharing. <laughs> so they get to me, and, and, and who are you? Well, I'm, you know, I'm Karen Johnson, and, you know, I have, you know, children, and I have a husband, and, um, you know, I live in Downey, and, you know, a few things about myself. Well, that's nice, Karen, but why don't you share who you really are? (laughs) So I'd have to think back into my hippie days, and so I would say something like, well, you know, I guess, you know, Moonchild or whatever their names were back then, you know, uh, Flowbird. Well, well, Flowbird, you know, I I guess I just have cobwebs in the windmills of my mind. 
They go, oh, so nice to meet you, Karen. I never bought it, but, you know, we, we sat there. Four weeks of this where we had to sit on the floor, and what did we have to learn how to do in your first class? Anybody remember? We had to learn how to breathe. I go, you got to be kidding. I paid 300 bucks for this? So we learned how to breathe. And now back then, if you didn't get your certificate or your diploma, you weren't allowed to go into the, uh, the delivery room. Even husbands were not allowed to go in back then. You had, to, you had to have your graduation certificate. And then they taught us how to push. So four weeks of breathe, breathe, push, push, breathe, breathe, push, push. And we had to pay 300 bucks for this. Now, again, it's the 70s. And everything was, we were into feelings. <laughs> so we had to be really into feelings. Now listen, I grew up, my mom was a drama teacher, and one of the things we didn't miss at our house was Carol Burnett. And uh, one, one night, Carol Burnett was talking about natural childbirth. And she described it this way. And I shared this with the Lamaze teacher. I don't know why you want to teach these women how to feel pain. Now Carol Burnett said, the natural childbirth was like taking your lower lip and putting it over the top of your head. Why do you want to feel this? But that was the 70s. I, I basically like painkillers. Now, I was in my 20s, but I still didn't understand. Now, you know, 80% of the women have epidurals today. See, they're smart. They, they sleep through labor. It's like, you know, wake, wake up. It's time to have your baby. Oh, Okay. It's so different today. <laughs> Dr. Lamaze, you know, we've been doing this for 6,000 years, ladies, but we had to have Dr. Lamaze tell us how to breathe and push. Now, one of the other areas that we did in the 60s, and this is kind of funny, is that we, we burned our bras. <laughs> we did. This is something that Jane Fonda taught us how to do. And... Um, and Miss America, 1968, burned her bras. And I saw that on the news one night. So the next morning, I thought, that's it. So I went and got in my drawer my 34 A's, And I put them on the end of that stick. And I poured barbecue lighter fluid on them. And I lit them on fire. And my mom came out. And she goes, Karen, what are you doing now? I'm burning my bras. Why? Well, Miss America said, we have to get rid of all restraints. <laughs> this, this is true. She goes, well, honey, you don't have much to restrain, you know. <clears throat> she said, you know, but, but my mom was a very wise woman. She just goes, you know what, you just go ahead and do what you want. Now, in a few years, when you're tucking them in your jeans... <laughs> Now, don't be blaming me. So I thought about that all day long. And I took that, my, little, my little bras, and I went in and I go, she's reading the newspaper. I go, Mom, I, I, think, I, need, I think I need a few new bras. She goes, well, what happened? I go, well, the elastic went out. She goes, you want to go down to JCPenney's and get a few new bras? I go, Yeah. It's like, Mom, why do I do this kind of stuff? She goes, I don't know. My dad goes, well, it's because she's born without a brain, Pauline. <laughs> but, you know, 
those are funny lies, but you know, we kind of bought it, bought into them. And you know, and I, you know, listen, I love to, I, I remember bringing my bras going, Viva la revolution. <laughs> my mom goes, what does that mean? I, I don't know, but so we do these kind of funny things or we buy into this kind of stuff. We don't even know what we're doing. Now those are some funny examples, but you know what? It goes, it goes very serious from there, doesn't it? And in Psalms 103, I was, during worship, just looking at this little sign. It's so adorable, thinking, you know, that's what we need to have this stuff right in front of us all the time. Bless the Lord, O my soul, everything within me. Bless his holy name. And the best part of that scripture is forget not his benefits. And it's like, are we supposed to be reminding God of what he wrote? Well, if he says there's a, there's a blessing... Uh, a verse with a blessing that comes with a promise, then we need, we need to take advantage of that. Not, you know, throwing it in God's face, but saying, Lord, your word said, and I'm claiming that for myself. As we, we need to really focus on Psalms 103 several times a year because we get, so, we get so bummed out. We get so focused on the little things, you know, a little piece of our wallpaper just didn't match, and it's like you got to rip the whole thing out and do it again. You know, we get focused on little tiny, tiny issues that get blown out of proportion. We need to read this. And I'm going to pick out just a few things in this session. And in Psalms 103, verses 1 through 7, many of, many of them are right there in front of you, so I don't have to read them again. But let's look at some of this stuff, and what does it say? Let's pick a few. Now, we, we know for sure the Lord is saying that we have to trust him and trust in him. Obey his commandments, and he tells us to fear him. Ooh, fear the Lord? Yes. And in verses 11 and verse 17, if you look at those two verses, I'm sorry, verse, uh, yes, verse 11 and verse 17, 17 is one of those verses that comes with a promise. It says, but the mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and on and his righteousness to children's children. So if I believe in the mercy of God, what's the effect of this? Well, it says that his righteousness is going to fall on your children. This is a verse that kind of comes with a promise. Now, there's all kinds of verses like this in the Bible. I love these verses. One of the very first verses that I realized that was a verse that came with a promise was in, in Genesis where it says that, where the Lord says about Israel, I will bless those that bless Israel. I will bless those that bless Israel. How do you bless Israel? I was so, I couldn't believe when I read this verse. I was 23 years old. I remember, how, how do you bless Israel? Because I want to be blessed. I called the president of Jews for Jesus. And I said, I read this verse, Moshe, Moshe Rosen at the time. I go, how do you bless Israel? What, I mean, should we just donate money to Israel? How do you bless Israel? He goes, Karen, you want to bless Israel? I go, yes. He goes, bless Israel with Jesus. Bless Israel with sharing the gospel to the Jews. And our church from that moment on has supported Jews for Jesus every single month of every single year that we've been in the ministry. It's a, it's a verse that says, if you will do this, it's a, it's a verse that comes with a blessing. Now, I don't do that to get the blessing, 
But it, 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 it's a natural outcome of what God says. If you'll do this, I will do this. There's many scriptures like that in the word. His mercy. Okay, I just lost my place here. Okay, all right. His mercy is upon us if we fear him, it says. That mercy is upon us and our, and our children and our grandchildren. That mercy, mercy we know, is that God is withholding what we deserve, but he holds it back. Now, a lot of times we get grace and mercy mixed up. But grace is not getting what we, grace is getting what we don't deserve, but mercy is getting what, is not getting what we deserve. So it's sort of like it's your fault. You ran the red light, but, but the judge says, I'm going to give you mercy. I'll let, it, I'll let it go this time. So mercy is getting what we don't deserve. And the Lord says, I want to give you that mercy. And if, you'll, if you will get into that and you'll receive that, I'm going to bless your children. Now, guys, that's a deal. Well, see, I'm not going to get what I deserve, and I'm, you're going to bless my kids. Mercy. I want mercy. This is a verse we should really hone into. Ah, but we have to fear the Lord and reverence the Lord. Grace is, is getting what we don't deserve. Why do we choose then to believe the lies? Well, I shared a little bit about that last night because, well, we just know what's best. Our thinking, and we, re, we go over it and over it, and we think, mm, I'm going to reason this out, and I've kind of figured this out, and I think I can do this on my own, and I don't really, you know, I love the Lord, and I want him at 99.9% of my life, but this I want. I can take care of this. Thank you very much, God. Well, that's exactly what Grandma Eve did. Grandma Eve, when she ate the apple, she said, I want to be like God. I basically, she's saying, I want to make my own decisions. God said, don't eat the apple. She says, no, I'm going to eat the apple. And she took a bite. Because she was told, if she did, that she would be like God. And when she swallowed that apple, shame entered into the world. Oh, ladies, do we know about shame? We just corner the market on it. Why don't we sell it and sell stock into it? We'd be filthy rich. We corner the market on guilt and shame. Now, shame makes you what? What's the first thing that shame makes you do? Think about Adam and Eve now. What did shame make them do? Hide. Shame makes us hide. And then what's the next thing? Cover. Shame will make you hide, and then shame makes you cover. You've got to have a cover-up. Where's the cover-up here? And see, we know about that as women. We know about shame because it makes you hide, and it makes you want to cover up. The cover-up starts. Now, I shared about when I was pregnant, my mother, I think, was ashamed of me that I got pregnant. And so I was hidden away in an unwed mother's home, the big cover-up. Now, I was raised Baptist, but somehow we convinced my relatives that I was being sent away to a Catholic boarding school. (laughs) How they bought that, I'll never know. But we had my letters rerouted through some school up in Oxnard, and all the nuns were helping me out, and we had had this elaborate scheme, and we we pulled 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 it off, I thought. Now, I don't blame my mother at all. I never blame my mother for any of this. I got myself in this pickle. And this was her way of helping me, what she thought was going to help me out. It just didn't work out that way. Satan is behind 
shame. Satan is behind shame. He, and due to shame, we have some deep things in our life that we need to deal with. And like I said, it causes you to hide. It causes you to, to do things you would never, never think you would ever do. Shame is like little seeds that we plant in our, in our life, in our, our garden of life. And it grows there, and it, it affects what we do. It grows up with the wheat, but it affects what we do. We don't think it does, but it, it does. Yes, we are new creations in Christ. Yes, old things are passed away, and all things do become new. But we bring it back. We bring this stuff back through shame. The Lord says, no, 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 this is all dealt with. I've dealt with Yes, he has dealt with the sin. But ladies, sometimes we keep this stuff alive with, with guilt and with shame. It's our choice. It's sort of like we're so used to the taste of shame that when somebody offers us something else to drink, we just go, shame, please. <laughs> we're so used to the taste of shame that it has now become the taste of choice. We don't know anything else. We don't know how to we don't know how to ask for anything different. We just say cup of shame, please. But even as Christians, shame is a toxic weapon to our souls. Shame causes you to remember Adam and Eve? Separate from God. Shame will cause us to separate ourselves from God. Great trick of the devil. He couldn't have done anything worse to us as women. It wrecks havoc in your marriages. Secrets between husband and wives, you know what it does? It separates us. It messes with our intimacy with our husbands. And I don't know what you're dealing with today. It could be something very small or something very deep from the past. But, and you're reading Psalms 103, and like I said last night, you go, well, I don't feel that way toward God. Well, we can. But we have to be truthful and ask ourselves this. What is on the throne of our hearts? When you think about love and how much you love and how much you so deeply love, is it your kids? Is it your husband? And I'm not saying loving them is wrong, but they should not be on the throne of your heart. God wants that place. Listen, kids grow up and leave home. You know, that's what we just do. We, just, we grow up and leave you guys. You're looking at your baby going, no, no, this baby, I have my baby, my baby. No, no, she's leaving. (laughs) Remember, when they learn to walk, they learn to walk away from you. (laughs) That's just how it works. Right? That's how it works. But when we go in humbleness toward God, covering ourselves with his grace and his mercy... And we come in humbleness and we're willing to admit our sins. Ladies, I'm speaking to Christians now. This is not to the unsaved. When we keep that leash so short that we go, God, when we get away from you, you just yank me back. I want a short leash, God. I don't want one of those long leashes that let the dog run out out into the lake. I want a short leash. I want to be right next to the Lord. We have to come in humbleness. His mercies, remember, are what? They are new every morning. So we get a fresh sheet of paper every day. Every day. We get to write on 
Every single day, what we want to write on, it's our choice. But, he, but the Lord says to us, my mercies, you deserve it. You deserve to get a little spanking for what you did. But you know what? I'm going to give you mercy today, and I'm going to give it to you every single day. Every single, when you wake up in the morning, the Lord's standing there going, mercy. You want it? But sometimes we don't. We go, no, 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 no. Shame, shame. I'd rather have that, that dirty old cup of shame. I'm just so used to it. I'm so used to the taste of it that that's what I go for. You see, there's always a way back to the Lord. Always a way back. And I would really encourage you today on your free time. I don't know what you guys do at your retreats. I know at our retreats, sometimes some of my women go shopping. You don't need that pillow. You don't need that throw pillow. You need to get away with with the Lord and and really speak. This is our date with Jesus. You can shop anytime. But this is a retreat. Let's get away with the Lord. And let's have a real heart-to-heart talk with him. Lord, I don't feel the way Psalms 23 talks about. I don't feel that way toward you. But I would like to feel that way toward you. And the Lord's going, oh, how I've been waiting for you to come so I can pour out my mercy upon you, as it talks about in this psalm. Asking the Lord to help you to fear him. That's reverence. And and that he would help us in all the decisions that we make. Even the smallest decisions that we make, we need God's help. Remember Jesus said, without me you can do Listen, you can't even make a roast without the Lord. You might laugh and go, well, I do. But you know what? We need God in every single decision that we make, especially financial decisions. And in our daily walks, we need that so we can walk forward and go forward and move on because we get so stuck. In Israel, when there is a suicide bombing, And when that takes place, there is a very, very special team of Orthodox rabbis that have been highly trained Jewish men that go in and take care of the situation. They go in with great respect, and they gather up the body parts of the people that were blown up in the building. It it must be a horrendous job, but this group of men feel that they have been called by God to do this special work. And they gather with great respect all the body parts of these people that were literally blown to bits. And sometimes even the tiniest piece of flesh that's on the side of a wall, they take and they put in a special container. Arms, toes, little pieces of tiny little babies. They take all this flesh and they bury it with great respect. They take these huge sponges and they soak up the blood that is all over these tile floors and they take that blood and they, they bury that blood with, that, with those body parts. And when the area is 100% cleaned, completely cleaned, do you know what they do? They open that business back up just like that. Because the Jews are saying to the Arabs, you're not going to stop our daily life. What you do is not going to stop us. We're moving forward. We're not going to let us be affected by what you do. Now, I think that's 
a phenomenal thing to do. And I think we as Christians have to have that same attitude. But we just get so stuck. We get stuck in this weird place where, you know, we, we, we have to go to counseling or we just we need more time or, you know, you tell your husband, I just need space. Listen, Grandma Eve did not have Freud. <laughs> she had God. We don't need to get hung up in a lot of this stuff. We need to stay in the word. Ladies, I know that you've been there. Some of you maybe. Maybe your life has been so blown up, or maybe you just lost a leg spiritually, or maybe just a tip of a finger. But I would encourage you today, this afternoon, to take a walk and gather up those pieces of your heart and of your, your soul and what's hurting you and gather that stuff up and just give it to the Lord today. You know what? He, he loves you so much. And with great honor and great respect and great love, when you give this stuff to him, he's going to bury it. He's going to say, I've been waiting for this for so long. I'm going to help you to bury this and move on so you could take that step up that we talked about. King David, in this chapter, he got it. He got it. Now remember, I was sharing with you about Natalie last night and, uh, you know, celebrating her birthdays by myself and Christmas. But I think she was about 12 years old, I think, about when this happened. Yeah, she was around 12. Um, And you have to understand, my my husband knew nothing about this. My brother had been in the Army in the time, and it was just a great, huge secret but we were on an Israel trip one year, and there was a church over there called St. Anne's. And I saw a woman just sitting in one of the pews at St. Anne's Church, and she was sobbing. She was on our tour. And I went up to her, and I said, gosh, can I, can I help you? You seem like you're just so upset. She goes, oh, Karen, my niece is pregnant up at St. Anne's Maternity Home in Los Angeles, and she's going to put the baby up for adoption. And gosh, we just don't know how to find a Christian family for this baby would you help would you help me find a, a home for this baby what what you're going to put your your baby up for adoption she goes oh yeah we're just we need we need we need help i'm thinking are you, you got to be kidding me me help you put a baby up for adoption on uh, my mind the movie started the social workers the unwed mothers home the whole thing started flooding back. And then God spoke to my heart and said, Karen, she's scared. Remember that? Karen, she's in California from Wisconsin. She's young. She's scared. Won't you help her? Well, okay, what's her name? (laughs) Well, her her name's Sally. She's 18 years old. And she's out here, from, left, her, left her parents, and she's never been away from home before. Yeah, I remembered that. And she wants to put her baby in a Christian family. Do you know of a Christian family that would take this baby? And I said, yes, I will, I will help you find a family, which I did. And when that baby was dedicated at our church... I was standing there, and another girl came up to me, nine months pregnant, and she said, 
I, I, I'm nine months pregnant. I'm, I'm not keeping my baby. I'm just, I just thought you go to the hospital and just leave it at the hospital. I, would you help me find a family like that family? I said, well, well, yeah. You know, you had to understand, I wasn't a social worker. I had a background in nursing. And I thought, well, you know, all right, I'll, I'll help you. That scenario happened six times from June to December of that year, 1979. I could not believe what God was doing. And God started House of Ruth because I made the decision to go back and visit my place of pain to help someone else. It's a phenomenal thing to do. I didn't want to go there, but I took the blood and the pieces of my broken heart, those dreams of that shattered little teenager that was so shattered years before, and I took those to the Lord and I said, Lord, if you will help me to help Sally, I will help her. I had severe fears in my life. I had agoraphobia for, for 10 years. I could barely leave my house. It took great, great effort to go and mail a letter at a mailbox that was two houses from my home. Shame causes you to hide. And it's sort of like the old-fashioned women when they would wear those girdles and they'd go, yep, my stomach's flat. But it all came up here and down there. You know, my stomach might have been flat, but I had all kinds of guilt and shame popping out all over the place. And I wanted to deal with that. But God was using what I went through to help another. How how could I refuse to help her? Now, it took another five years for me to share this story with my husband about this, this little girl and to tell my kids And it was a process. But maybe you this weekend might say, you know, I think I want to start the process. I don't think I can go all the way from where I'm at to ministry. But you know what? You can start the process and go, you know what? What I went through, I was pretty bad. Could God turn that into a ministry? Yes. I don't know. There's five churches here. Do you know that every single one of you could be in ministry and there would still be work to do at your churches? You guys are so needed, but we have to go back to that place of pain and shame, open up our hands and say to God, will you take this and make something good out of it? Will you go to God and give him the keys to the attic, give him the keys to the basement and say, go in there and let's get rid of this stuff. I I am not going to carry this dead cat and pet it anymore, hoping it's going to come back to life. It's dead. It's time to let it go. And then this verse talks about who will forgive all your iniquities. God is going to forgive, and he has forgiven all of our iniquities. But will we forgive those who have hurt us? You know, Jesus died a horrific, horrible death, more pain than any of us could ever go through. And in the worst part of his pain, in the, in the time that, you, listen, the Romans perfected the art of torture. And when Jesus was in the worst part of his pain, when it was so horrible and so horrendous, do you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
They don't know what they're doing. That, ladies, is extremely powerful. It's an example to us that we can do this. With God's help, we can do this. If we truly have the fear of the Lord, we will forgive others. We can do this. With God's help, we can do this. Jesus said, For if you will forgive other people when they sin against you, and your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's in Matthew 6 4. There's scriptures that say, ladies, that if we do not forgive, the Lord doesn't forgive us, He won't answer our prayers. We don't want to be in a position where God is not answering our prayers. We want to be in a position we, where we are in, in, in good communication with our Father. Now, I had an experience on Christmas Eve a couple years ago. It was probably one of the toughest things I've ever been through in my life, where I had to really call on God for his mercy and grace. And you know what? He was there for me. He met me there. If I have time, maybe tomorrow or tonight I can share this story. But it was, it was a horrendous thing. God says in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other, bear with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Listen, we have to do this. God will not force you to forgive. He will not force you because he never forces us to do anything. But if we want to be more like Jesus, we will do this. The freedom you will experience is going to completely set you free. But Satan is going to tell you, if, you're, if you want to forgive this person, Satan's going to tell you, if you forgive them, then they got away with it. And that's not true. That's a lie. If you forgive them, then they got away with what they did. And that's not true. That's a lie. That's another lie that we believe. It's from hell. It's from Satan. Not forgiving, see, ladies, is the poison that we pour every morning and we drink it ourselves. That's what unforgiveness does. It causes us to be angry and the root of bitterness grows. And you know what the root of bitterness does? The Bible says it defiles many. Have you ever been around somebody that's bitter? Have you ever been around people like that? I've had friends like that. They come over and they, and they just start in. I go, wait, 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 wait. Listen, I've heard this story so many times. I got the CD. I got the DVD. I got the cassette tape. I got the record of this. And I don't want to hear it anymore. When are you going to let this go? But they seem powerless to let it go. We have to forgive. Forgiveness is the poison that we pour every day and poison ourselves with. The drink of choice. Forgiveness is a choice. It is not a feeling. Receiving his gift of forgiveness is a lifelong process. We, we have to do this every single day. Because something comes up every single day. Even if it's just somebody pulled in front of you and that nasty word came into your head. Oh, where'd that come from? Oh, hell. <laughs> and I got to get rid of that. Because I'm on that short leash. And I don't want to be angry at somebody for doing that. It's a lifelong process. Then, when God forgives us for what we do, we have to offer it. We have to offer it to others. 
Psalms 103 talks about when he removes our sin, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. You've heard this story before about the east and the west, between the north and the south? Yeah. See, our sin is separated as far as the east is from the west because, see, if you're in a plane going east, you'll never hit west. You'll never hit west. It just never meets. But if you fly north, when you get to the North Pole, guess what? You're going to be flying south. So our sins are not separated as far as the north is from the south because that meets. But from the east is to the west, it's going to always be forgiven. Verse 13 in this, in this chapter says that, he, it says that he has pity for us. He feels sorry for us. Why? Because he, he knows our frame and he knows that we are but dust. Well, ladies, don't think so highly of yourself than you should. We are dust. And the older you get, it's getting dustier down the road. I mean, it's just flying off daily. You know, those days when I used to go to the beach just so look at, you know, I don't know why I didn't get burned to death. Now it's like, Jeff goes, you want to go to the beach? Yep, 50. 50 on the lips, 30 on my body. You know, hat, umbrella, you know. You know, it's like, what happens? It's like we're going to war, 30, 40, 50, you know. We get down to the beach, we're so tired, it's like, I just want to go home. You can't just, you know, remember the days of just walking out of the house with a towel and flying down in your Volkswagen down to the beach? Gone. We're dying. We are but dust. We are but dust. When you read these scriptures, does this sound like a God who is mad at you? No. Does this sound like a God that we should be afraid of? Reverence his power. But are you afraid of God? See, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we talk about his reverence. Now, I've never been there, but has anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? I hear that when you stand out there and you look at this tremendous power of water falling, that you just get you just want to grab hold of something and you get scared. Not that the Niagara Falls is going to come and get you. But you just go, oh my gosh, this, this, is, this is so powerful, this is so real, and you just want to hold on to something. Like, that would really help. But you reverence that great power. That power is not there to hurt you, but that power is there to show you, you want to jump in, you're going down. And God is saying to us, I want you to reverence my power. It's not there to hurt you. It is there to protect you. God is so powerful and so good. And my dear sisters, how much he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. We have a God who loves us and he wants us to run to him. On that short leash. Ask him to pull you back when you start straying or want to go your own way. We have a loving God who wants us to love him. Not by killing ourselves or putting bombs on our bodies and blowing ourselves up in buildings. That's not a God that loves his people. You, you want to prove how much you love God? You want to prove how much you love me? Then you blow yourself up. What kind of a God is that? That's, listen, when they say that the, we worship the same God, that is not true. That's not our God. 
Our God doesn't say strap explosives onto a Down syndrome child and send him into a restaurant. That's not what God does. God says, I love you, and I'm concerned about what you do. And the other thing is, is we don't want to have hatred in our heart. There's a lot of other religions that are so filled with hatred. They teach hatred. They breathe, breed hatred. This last bombing we had in Boston is a perfect example. Did you see the little boy, the younger brother, when he was younger? Wasn't he adorable? Did you see him two years later? Pictures? You could tell. He drank the poison. He drank the hatred poison. And he believed it. And he, listen, he wasn't a terrorist in, in, as far as a terrorist bomber. He was just a stupid kid thinking he was going to help his religion by killing people at the Boston Marathon. How sad. But that's not our God. Our God would never tell us to do something like that. In fact, he says, no, I want you to forgive. Now, for years, I tried to tell my husband about my baby. I was so afraid. And many times when he would be in the bathtub, I would go in and I'd say, Jeff, there's something, something I've got to tell you. And he goes, well, sit down and tell me. And I'd sit down and I'd go, well, I have, I, got, I have something to tell you. And he goes, well, what is it? I figured if he was in the bathtub, he couldn't catch me as quick. <laughs> and I go, I, I just can't do it. And I'd run out. And my husband would go, oh, okay, well, you know, tell me when you feel like you can do it, you know. <laughs> and we, we did this for years. Jeff, I have to tell you every once in a while. I, I have to, um, th- this time I'm really going to tell you. Okay. I can't. And I'd run out. But one time we were in Mexico on a surfing trip in the camper. He's chopping onions. And I go, Jeff, there's something I have to tell you. Yeah, well, I've been hearing about this for years. What is it? <laughs> I said, no, Jeff, this time I'm, I'm really going to tell you. And he goes, okay, what is it? And I go, well, before we were married, I had a baby. And he stopped chopping onions and he goes, when? I said, well, this is when it happened, and I, I had this baby, and I put it up for adoption. He said, all of this for a baby? And I said, well, yeah, I, just, I was afraid to tell you. And he goes, man, Karen, I thought you were a homosexual. <laughs> Me? I go, you got to be kidding, a homosexual? He goes, well, it was either that or you murdered someone. I said, well, when did I murder someone? He goes, well, do you remember when your parents were putting the new steps in the den, in the cement? I go, yeah. He goes, I thought you put somebody in in the cement. I said, now... You're telling me that you have forgiven me all these years for homosexuality and murder? He said, well, yeah. I go, well, then what's a baby? But something happened in my heart that day because, see, this monster that I fed every single day and that tormented me Every single day, that monster died that day. And he left me alone. 
And then he said this. He said, well, Karen, you know that, you know there was rumors in high school that I got a girl pregnant. And I said, yeah, I remember that, Jeff. He goes, well, let's go find him. Let's go find him. He goes, I don't know if I have a child and, you know, and you've got a daughter. Let's go find him. I said, you want to go find him? And he goes, Karen, if there's another one out there like you, I want to know her. I want to love her. I'll love her like my own. And let's go find my, if I, I don't even know if I have one, but if I got one, let's go find out. And I said, you, you, you want to, you, you actually really want to do this? He, he was getting excited. That intimacy, the see, we didn't have. You know that intimacy I'm talking about? See, the enemy was stealing all that from me all those years. I go, Jeff, I can't even believe that you're reacting like this. He goes, I just don't understand why you wouldn't have told me about this. All that guilt and all that pain, it just fell off like heavy armor, just falling off of me. And it brought me closer, actually, to the Lord and to to my husband. I remember I'd been working in adoptions for years at that time. But God just was so awesome in that he just says, if you'll give me every single piece of this, all these little body parts, all this blood that you've been carrying around that should have been buried a long time ago, and if you'll give this to me, I, the Lord says, will restore the years that the canker worm has eaten away. Does, is there anybody in here that wants that? Let's pray. Father, help us to cover the lies with truth today. Lord, we have really, really been hurt by that person, that event. Will you help us today to forgive? Will you help us to want to forgive? We release this to you, and we ask that you would heal our hearts from the damage that this has caused and how it's kept us away from you. Lord, forgive us for feeding the monster. Will you drag that ugly thing into the light so that we can say as David, our youth is restored like the eagles. You redeem my life from destruction. You satisfy us with good things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.